CSN International presents To Every Man an Answer, the live apologetics program that equips you to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. If you have a Bible question or a question on the Christian faith, you can call us at 1-888-827-5276. Again, that's 1-888-ASK-CSN. Let's get things started. Here's today's host, Mike Kessler. Hi, and welcome to Tuesday's edition of To Every Man and Answer. So glad you've joined us. Looking forward to being with you. And so we just want to encourage you to give us a call. 8888-ASK-CSN is the number of the call. We set this time aside every weekday afternoon, answering questions about the Bible from the Bible. And so we want to just encourage you to give us a call. We'll do our very best to answer that for you. Joining me today... Jeff Wickwire from Turning Point Church in Dallas-Fort Worth. Hi, welcome. Hello, Mike. Good to be with you and looking forward to some good questions today on To Every Man and Answer. And, um, you know, excited about it. The folks have been calling in with some great questions about the Bible. You know, God doesn't mind honest scrutiny. No. At all. No. He will. He will answer you. And, uh, you know, I've had some questions, lots of them after I was saved, different Bible questions that they weren't uh, causing me to walk away from the faith or doubt Christ, but, but I really needed an answer, just, just, uh, what the Bible calls an answer of peace, uh, just to help me understand. And God always, sometimes in semi miraculous ways brought me an answer and he did not mind my asking him. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to everybody liberally and does not upbraid them for asking. So God doesn't mind scrutiny. He's not afraid of scrutiny or of questions because he's, after all, creator, almighty God. So uh, looking forward to some good ones today. And those of you out there in the listening audience, don't be afraid uh, or embarrassed to call in a question. No question is a bad question if it's a question you need answered. Amen. And the, the number, 8888-ASK-CSN. Yep. 8888-ASK-CSN. And we'll do our very best to get to your question today. Let's go to Darla, California. Hi, welcome. Hi. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Um, I know you've been asked this a million times, but I need a clarification just for me on um, when we get our glorified bodies. Um, I know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Um, so does that mean they're in a spiritual form at this, when, when they die until Christ comes again, or can you kind of explain that to me? That's what I believe. Um, I believe that when we rule and reign with Christ for that thousand years, we will need a glorified body, a body that doesn't break down, get old. I believe anybody that's died in faith today has, is, is not lacking anything in heaven. It's a spiritual world. But the Bible says also, when we see him, Paul says, we'll be like him. And we're going to get a body like Jesus had that rose from the dead. The Bible says at the rapture, the dead in Christ rise first. Now that's speaking of their old shell that's in the ground or in an urn or wherever it might be. Then those that are alive and remain will be transformed in a moment, twinkling of an eye, and we're all caught up to be with the Lord, and there will ever be, the Bible says. Now, again, this new glorified body, as Jesus' was, could eat 
It could vanish out of their sight. He could appear behind locked doors. Pretty neat body. That's what we're going to get. And it'll never age, never get old, never get wrinkled, never have to go to the dentist like I did today. And I'm still half numb. So if you wonder, why am I slurring my speech? Well, that's what happens. Um, But Darla, that's what I believe. That's when I believe it. Because the idea that so many cults have is what's called soul sleep. When you die, you just lay in suspended animation in the ground there until the Lord comes back or the end of time. They all have a different twist. But it's very clear in the scripture to be absent from the body, present with the Lord. Now, we remember Jarius' daughter who died. Jarius came to Jesus. My daughter's grievously ill. Will you come and pray for her? While he's talking to Jesus, Jarius' servant said, don't trouble the master, your daughter's dead. He said, let's go anyway. Jesus goes, puts them all out, prays for the little girl, and the Bible says her spirit returned to her. It does not say woke up. In the Old Testament as well, same thing. Elijah prays for a little boy, and the exact same words are used. His spirit returned to him. Friends, I believe that's extremely important. Now, what about in the book of Acts, uh, where Stephen was stoned, and it says he fell asleep? That's speaking of his body. But his spirit, as we all know, goes to where God has, has uh, where I am, there you'll be also. Your thoughts? Yeah, exactly. I like to use a little illustration of a glove uh, over your hand. And you pretend that the glove is your body and the hand is your soul. Now, when a Christian dies or when they, uh, yeah, when they die and when their body dies, um, the glove, that is the body, is buried. But the hand, which is the soul, goes up into the presence of the Lord. Absence from the body, present with the Lord. And at the rapture, when Christ returns, that body that was buried, and, you know, think of Paul's body right now, or Peter's, or John's, or Jude's. It's just nothing but ashes. But God, by his mighty power, same power that he used to create the world, will resurrect that body. And as Mike said, it will be a glorified body not subject to sickness, disease, depression, arthritis, cancer, (laughs) COVID, uh, having to go to the dentist, nothing. (laughs) And, um, and so your soul will be rejoined to your glorified body. The body will go up and we will meet the Lord in the air. But my understanding is the soul will be rejoined to the body, Yes, which is exactly what, what happened to that a uh, little girl that uh, died, and Jesus brought her back. Also, Lazarus. Where did Lazarus's soul go for four days while he his body was as dead as anybody ever was dead in the tomb? Rigor mortis had set in. All the normal decaying processes had set in, but they were not uh, triumphant over the word of Christ, who commanded Lazarus's body back to life. And when that happened, uh, his soul came back into his body. It doesn't say in the Bible, but I would wager he had some really powerful stories to tell about what he saw and experienced during those four days, because he was not in his body. 
he was he was in uh, well he was in heaven or he was in the good part of Hades something he was not in uh, he was not uh, in his body but it was rejoined so it, it's a very powerful thing and, and it's easy to remember when you think about the little glove and your hand inside the glove take the hand out and the glove just goes limp because it's the hand it's the soul that animates the body but when the hand is gone the body is dead and is buried and begins to decay but it's going to come back out in a moment and in the twinkling of an eye at the sound of the last trump the dead in Christ will rise first and so i hope that helps explain it dara yeah you know dara and and jeff i i can just see lazarus when he died and he's there in Abraham's bosom, everything's beautiful. I mean, it's a place of paradise. Mm-hmm. And and he's there and all of a sudden two angels show up. An angel shows up and says, well, Lazarus, I got some good news and bad news. The good news is you're in Abraham's bosom and it's great here. The bad news is you got to go back. <laughs> I can just you're be, see you're, Yeah, you're being just, called back. Yeah, yeah. He's, I the get, only, he's the only guy that had two funerals. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I, you know he experienced two funerals. So yeah, yeah. Dara, I hope that helps. Well, it, I just want to. So the people that have been gone for the last two thousand years or more mm-hmm. since the beginning mm-hmm. of Jesus's resurrection, they can eat. They are enjoying heaven. Oh yeah, yeah. In, in some well, way, in a, some kind don't know of, if a, a body that uh, it's their soul. Don't know if they're eating. The the Bible. Is yeah, it's true. It doesn't say. Mm-hmm. Now, we will eat with Christ when we're there with him at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Absolutely. But right now, we don't know. But I believe there is, I don't believe they're lacking anything in heaven. Again, Paul says, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Those words in the Greek are immediate. Boom, boom, that fast. And so it's not a, it's not a soul sleep, suspended animation thing. It is immediate. So, uh, but we know that um, they have a form. Uh, certainly, we remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah appeared with Jesus. So, I don't, I don't think that they're they're in any way lacking anything. But it may very well be, and it's true, Jeff, that uh, for this term right now, until we get this new body. Uh, we don't find that they're eating up there, uh, but I'm sure they're doing something to to um, nourish themselves. So uh, anyway, Dara, I hope that helps. Yeah. And then what about those who die during the tribulation? Their souls go straight to heaven as well? Th- those that die in the tribulation, the Bible says they will go, if they're believers, they go to heaven. If they're non-believers, they go to Sheol. Which call we, which we use the word term hell, awaiting the great white throne judgment. That's where everybody's works and godly works come to full fruition. Again, think about somebody that started a cult. Maybe there's only 25, 30 people. Now there's millions. You got to think there's going to be a pretty harsh judgment. The Bible says, Jesus said, some will be beaten with many stripes, some with few. So, I do believe that there is um, levels of punishment, but ultimately they're all cast in the lake of fire, which burns forever. The book of Jude clearly says 
that they will be tormented forever. It, it's not annihilation, as the Jehovah's Witnesses teach uh, it, and others. It, it, the Bible says it is a place of torment um, throughout all of eternity. That's why every day is so important that we live our lives for Christ. And again, uh, that great day of accounting will come. Now, for the Christian, we go when the rapture comes. We stand before the Lord and uh, we'll be rewarded for the things that were done with the right motives. So I, I believe those in the tribulation will be as well, those who were martyred for their faith. And in fact, amazingly, the Bible talks about them in Revelation chapter 6, uh, uh, the first time we find them mentioned. So hope that helps. And they'll have a they'll have a glorified body then because we raptures have already gotten our when we're raptured have already gotten our glorified body. Yeah, I believe that's what'll happen because the Bible says they rule and reign with Christ as well, and we're gonna need some kind of a tangible tangible body in a material world to rule and reign with him. Though it will be a a body like his Paul says, we're not exactly sure what we're going to be, but we know when we see him, we're gonna be like him. Hope that helps. You might want to, Dara. Go ahead, Jeff. Don't, hang, hang on, Dara. One second. I, I want to encourage you to grab a paraphrase, Living Bible, preferably, and and just read First Corinthians fifteen. Yeah, that's yeah. the res, resurrection chapter. And if you read in a paraphrase, or, or or the New Living Translation, something like that, it'll it it really Paul really goes into the uh, transformation of the body. And uh, the resurrection of the body, getting a glorified body, all of that. Read First Corinthians 15. Hope that helps. Sure helps. Stay in line. We'll send you out books, DVDs. Let's go to Tim Oakland. Hi, welcome. Hi. Um, I, I'm actually not in Oakland. I, I live in Hollister. But anyway, um, hey, uh, first of all, I really appreciate you guys. I, I sincerely mean that I listen to you guys every day on my way home from work. Um, my question is, uh, my pastor and I, I um, at church, and I've heard you guys talk about the age of accountability. Yes. And uh, where where exactly is that in the Bible? Okay, your thoughts. Well, it's it is insinuated uh, for sure. Like, for instance, when King David, who sinned with Bathsheba, and out of that adulterous uh, union, a baby was conceived. David did everything in the world he could to hide the fact that he was the father, ended up killing her husband, really bad stuff. But here's the thing. The baby uh, died soon after being born. And uh, before the baby died, the baby was very sick. David fasted, he prayed, he was on the ground before God asking for mercy, uh, all of those things, and God did not answer it. And the child passed away. Well, David got up combed his hair, uh, had a meal, and uh, just started to go about his daily business. Well, his, his uh, I'll call them his staff, his servants, uh, said, what's up with this? Before the child died, you were fasting and praying, and now that the child died, you're, uh, you're up and about and doing life. And David said, here's the thing. I can't bring him back to me, but I will go to him. Now, that's a very telling statement. I will go to him. David had the revelation from the Holy Spirit. David, among other things, was a prophet. David had the revelation that uh, 
children, and the, I, I believe the age of accountability is relative to the child, but he at least understood a baby that is born and doesn't make it and dies goes to heaven because David knew he was going to go to heaven as a man of God, uh, and he knew that the child would be there um, with him. I can't bring him back, but one day I will go to him. So there you have the age of accountability uh, at least very, very strongly insinuated and taught and referred to by King David. That's one good example. Hope that helps. Yeah, that, that does. That, that does. I didn't never, I've read that before, and I've uh, never thought of it quite that way. So uh, thank you very much. I, I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, and the Bible says in, he, in, in uh, Corinthians 7, uh, that uh, that the where there's at least one believer in the home, the children are sanctified by that one believer. So I believe the children in a Christian home will go in the rapture. I do not believe the children will go in the rapture if they're non-believers in a non-believing home. When we look at scriptural consistency. You find that there was children, babies, that died in the Great Flood. That doesn't mean the babies went to hell, uh, or the young children, necessarily. But they were not protected as Noah's family was. And that's why I believe that it's important that uh, there is that one believer in the home. When God told... uh, Joshua to go into the promised land and wipe out the uh, different uh, pagan groups of people um, and, and leave none of them alive, actually. Uh, we find that that uh, I don't believe necessarily the children um, went to hell, but they were not under uh, any kind of protection, divine protection. So the tribulation period, I believe, will fall into the same category as well based on what we find in the entirety of Scripture. Hope that helps, Tim. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. Thank you very much. Otherwise, I don't know why uh, uh, Paul would have wrote that in there where there's at least one believing parent in the home that children are sanctified. That means set apart. Let's go to Roy. and uh, Stay online, Tim. We'll send you out books and DVDs. Let's go to Roy, Sparks, Nevada. Hello, pastors. I uh, was just curious to know if um, if Adam and Eve wouldn't have sinned in the garden, um, would God still have required or asked them that they procreate and fill the earth with us human beings? Okay, Jeff. Well, he already did. That's what he told them to do before the fall. So we know that. Um, how the world would have been had they not fallen is... And unknowable. Now, there, there are certain things that we can make some guesses, uh, certain truths in Scripture, but it, it's an unknowable in that the world would have been so different, the universe so different, everything so different, because death came by sin. So if you just stop and think about it, if they had not sinned, there'd be no death. Well, by now, the world would definitely have to have been either enlarged or God would have had to have made some way 
for the tr- billions upon billions and hundreds of billions of people to eventually populate the planet because nobody w- would have been dying because again, death came by sin. Sin is what brought death. The last and final great enemy of mankind, uh, the writer of Hebrews says. So, uh, it's, it's an unknowable, really, uh, Roy, we can guess, but as far as, um, multiplying, being fruitful and multiplying and reproducing, that was the mandate upon them at the creation of Eve. So uh, that would have been a done deal. What he would have done with all the people that never, ever died. If there had been no sin, Adam would still be walking around. So would Eve. Uh, So would all the other human beings that have been born. It's a staggering thing to think about. But that's the horror of sin. Because by sin came death, and death is nasty. It's bad. God never intended for us to look down and stare into the casket of a dead loved one. Never. That was never God's plan. That came by sin. But thank God, Jesus came, the second Adam, and died on the cross for us, spilled his innocent blood, was raised from the dead, And now he's the Lord of life. And where death came by one man, life also now comes by the man, Jesus Christ, if you put your faith in him. Uh, The whole world is not saved. Those that genuinely repent and turn to Christ and ask him to save them, they're the ones saved. And they'll be made alive. And it's a wonderful, glorious thing. So uh, your your thoughts, Mike. Amen. No, I can't add anything to that. I think it's good. And and uh, again, uh, somebody said one time, they said, well, if Adam and Eve hadn't blown it, if I was on the earth, I would have. So, I, I, you know, it, it's it's really, though, hard to comprehend um, a body that is not under the curse and not under sin. Mm. So it is interesting that even when they ate of the tree, they recognized something major changed. They ran and hid themselves. So we know that something psychologically, spiritually, uh, longevity-wise changed within man when he rebelled against God. God put man in a perfect place. Man refused to obey God. People say, well, what kind of a good God would put a bad tree in the garden? God didn't say it was bad for animals to eat of, just that Adam and Eve were not supposed to eat of it. There's a lot of things in our house that we can eat in the kitchen, but there's some things under the kitchen uh, faucet that we shouldn't eat. There's scouring powder and burlos and and, uh, cleaning fluids and all kinds of things. Well, uh, uh, mom and dad just doesn't love us because we can't eat anything that's in the house, even under the, the, the bathroom sink. No, it's because your parents love you They tell you not to eat of that. And I've heard people try to fault God saying, well, God couldn't be good because he put a bad tree in the garden. No, it's not for us. Dogs, cats, well, they eat a lot of things that I'd never eat. I'm just saying that God just said, don't eat of that tree. Was it partly, I believe, a command of obedience? Absolutely. But at the same time, God said, don't eat of it. The day you eat of it is the day you die. They ate, but they didn't fall down dead. 
Something worse than that. Their spirit died. That's why Jesus said in John 3, you must be born again to Nicodemus, a religious high-ranking official of the day. He said, you have to be born again. Because the first time, we died. The second time, we live. The first Adam sold us into slavery. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, got us out of sin and caused us to be his bride. Hope that helps, Roy. It does. Thank you very much, Pastor. Appreciate it. Stay on line if you like. Send you out some books, DVDs. Let's go to Pamela in Oregon. Hi, welcome. Hello. Hi. How may Hello. we help? How may we help? Hi. Um, I know that as Christians, that I've been a Christian for many years, uh, we we still, we're in the flesh, have to battle things, you know. Uh, I have, I battle fear, uh, worrying about my grandkids, my grandkids and my grown kids, and I want them to make heaven, and I worry too much, and I'm tr- I work on that. I have other things, probably about four things that I'm battled with constantly, but I try my best. I mean, not things of the flesh, but things that Satan throws at your mind, you know? I heard a a message, I read it, rather, from they passed our church, good Christians, um, and they were telling, uh, giving Bible scriptures and everything about, and I should know this, about how um, this woman, they said, was a Christian, but she still tormented and has problems with different uh, things in her life. Not, you know, that not of the flesh, I don't guess, but of the spirit, I don't know, whatever. But to make a long story short, can, and they said she's a Christian, can, they said they prayed demons out of her, and they talked to the demons and everything. And what do you think about that? Well, I I don't believe she was a Christian if she had demons living in her, because you cannot say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So they could have been lying, saying that they were Christians and they weren't, uh, that she was a Christian. But I do not believe a Christian can be demon-possessed. I believe they can be oppressed. Uh, What fellowship does light have with darkness? Uh, I don't believe that a spring can put forth good water and and uh, poison water at the same time. So I, I look for God to um, uh, deliver people, but then they need to be introduced to who Jesus Christ truly is so the demons won't come back. Watch your input on this um, uh, on the other side of the break. Uh, and so we'll be back for more coming up right after this. We'll be right back. Hi, friends. Pastor Chapin from Calvary Chapel University. Have you been in a season of trials and testings, even tribulations? We're told in Romans 5, that idea of tribulation, tilipsis in the Greek, speaks of crushings. We know that tribulation produces patience, and patience produces experience, and experience produces a hope, a hope that doesn't disappoint. You'll experience that. In addition, we're reminded of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane praying until he sweat drops of blood. That's a crushing. Perhaps Calvary Chapel University could be part of the Lord's answer to your prayers. Simply go to calvarychapeluniversity.edu and explore, pray and explore and see what the Lord may have for you.
Most CCU alums, like David Guzik, who's a board member and a graduate of CCU, graduate earlier on time, debt-free, and sound doctrinally. Go to calvarychapeluniversity.edu. That's calvarychapeluniversity.edu and apply today. Perhaps we could be the answer to your prayers. You dialed in to CSN, the Christian Satellite Network, broadcasting on nearly 400 stations nationwide. Including over 30 stations in Oregon, you can listen in Baker City, Klamath Falls, Portland, Coos Bay, Redmond, and many more stations throughout Oregon and the nation. For the station nearest you, log online to csnradio.com. This is CSN International, where God's Word is heard. Oh Lord, I am loved by you. In all ways, at all times, we lift up the name of Jesus. This is CSN. back to part two of To Every Man and Answer here on this Tuesday afternoon with Jeff Wickwire. I'm your host, Mike Kessler. We're talking to Pamela and um, wondering about sometimes uh, somebody's a Christian and these different churches pray demons out of them, talk to them. Well, mm-hmm. it can either be false and they're just, you know, kind of going for the hype, or it can be maybe true. And uh, your thoughts, Jeff? My personal feelings are it's a false teaching, and I have several biblical reasons for saying that. Uh, it's a trend right now. It, there's, you can go on social media uh, and in news feeds, just Facebook news feeds. There's uh, just over and over again you'll come across churches where or individuals with uh, traveling ministries casting demons out of professing Christians, or, or at least saying that's what's happening. And it has become very trendy. My problem with it is several fold. One, I don't see it anywhere in the New Testament. It's nowhere in the New Testament. You would think that something that important, if Christians who have come to Christ, repented of sin, um, you know, been filled with the Holy Spirit, have been made brand new, that if they needed to have demons cast out, yeah, something's wrong. Then they- there would be a clear directive from from one of the apostles or Christ himself. Okay, now that you're saved, head on down to the nearest deliverance ministry and get your demons out. But it's not there. Nowhere in the New Testament do you find one example of a believer having a demon cast out of them. Not one. My second problem with it is if it were true, a Christian can have demons. And every time you turn around, when you're dealing with some struggle or you're under some attack, you're in spiritual warfare. And I do believe, of course, in spiritual warfare. I believe you can be oppressed by an attack from Satan and really be under the gun. And you've got to put on the armor of God and fight back and resist the devil, and he'll eventually flee. But if you go with the doctrine that a Christian can have a demon 
that every time you make a mistake or have a bad thought or let's say fall back into an old habit, uh, something along those lines, immediately you're going to think you've got a demon lurking somewhere in your soul or that uh, he, the, the demon left and now has come back with seven more worse than himself as Jesus gave that example, but he didn't give that example about Christians. Um, so those two reasons alone, particularly is nowhere in the Bible. Our God who, you know, worked out the plan of salvation for 5,000 years and finally in the fullness of time sent his only begotten son to die for us. If we needed to have demons cast out something that crucial that he would not tell us in one solitary verse in the New Testament? Uh-uh. No. No. You will know the truth. It will make you free. He whom the Son frees is free indeed. And a demon cannot coexist in the same room, the same soul, with the Holy Spirit. There is no way. What fellowship has light with darkness? You know? So those are my thoughts on it. And I could go into more reasons, but that's enough. Yeah, no, I agree. And and the only place that we do find is a woman that followed Paul and his companion around saying, these are the men of the Most High God, listen to them. And a person might think, oh, well, look, that girl was a Christian. But we find that she was demon-possessed with the spirit of divination, fortune-telling. And she wasn't uh, born again at all. Uh, and so it is possible for a person that is not a believer to uh, in some way lay some kind of claim to God. We remember even Jesus himself said, they'll come and they'll say, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we heal all these different things, pretty monumentous things? And Jesus said, go away from me. I never knew you. Uh, and so when, when you look at that, you you got to conclude that, uh, the devil is a masquerader and may very well be possible. This woman that you speak of uh, wasn't really born again. And and um, yeah. uh, maybe there was a lying spirit there uh, from the demon saying, oh, yeah, yeah, we're, we're a believer. I've had people tell me that. I prayed over a guy one time, and I said uh, we were praying, and, and uh, he tore his shirt off. Um, and, and I mean, just sweating, going crazy. And I, I had my hands on him and I said, is Jesus Christ Lord? And he said, yeah, yeah. And I said, say Jesus Christ is Lord. And this is exactly what happened. He goes, Jesus, and he went nuts again. They weren't all gone. The guy had like seven of them or eight of them in him. And we, we just kept praying them until they were all gone. The, the fact of the matter is, is that um, they can go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, you say it. And when they, they the, the, the Bible says demons tremble at his name. And so I believe there's Devils power. Devils also believe in tremble. Yeah. Yeah. So, so hope that helps. That, that is exactly what, you know, what you men of God are saying is exactly what we were taught and believed. But this really drew me because I do have things. I worry too much. I'm working on it. I try to work on it daily. 
Uh, I worry about my grown children, my children. It seems like the older I get, the the more I battle these mind problems. You know, thinking too much and. Yeah. But, um, but see, Pamela, the the people the people that are abusing the, that are creating this false teaching, they would say to you, "Oh, you've got a spirit of worry. Yeah. You've got a spirit yeah. of worry. Demon that, of chocolate. Spirit, yeah, demon of cho- demon of nicotine, demon of this and that. But the problem is, no, that is not in the Bible. That, that's made up. And there is when, whenever you see something like this current, uh, it's very trendy now. Everybody's casting out devils. Uh, the the woman that Mike referred to in the book of Acts uh, who had the spirit of divination, the Greek word is python. Hmm. Okay, the spirit of python came out of her. Uh, well, I've seen these so-called deliverance people uh, rebuke a spirit of python out of born-again people. And they come up with other zany words uh, to describe these so-called demon spirits. But the only problem is a lot of what they call a demon is identified in Galatians 5 as a work of the flesh, not a demon. And so you've got to be very careful. When you see something like this, always, 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 always go to the Bible and say, okay, did Paul, Peter, James, John, or Jude in the epistles, did they teach this? Did Jesus Christ teach this? And if you come up with a great big blank, then you can know it's it should at least be questioned, if not outright rejected. And uh, we've just got to get into the Word and get stronger in the Word, because I think this demon casting out business uh, with Christians is is really damaging some people. You know, you got little kids going home saying, Mommy, Mommy, a, a demon of epilepsy came out of me, or a demon of this and that. What does that do to the mind of a child? And yet I've seen this happen on YouTube. So you've got to be very, very careful. If it's not in the Bible, question it. Yeah, and and I think a lot of it is to shrek uh, personal responsibility. It's I call oh, it I call sure. it Flip Wilson theology. Devil made it, me do it. <laughs> the, the devil made me do it. Well, the thing is, yeah. is that is it wasn't me. You know, I'm innocent. Mm-hmm. No. Uh, and that I think a lot of times is what people are 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 are, are saying and doing. And I didn't I, commit adultery. It was a demon of yeah, adultery. And, and I I really believe I really believe that uh, really a Christian, a born again Christian, just as you said, Jeff, cannot be demon possessed. I can I believe they can be oppressed, and a lot of time the oppression comes from. Being where we're not supposed to be, hanging around with people we shouldn't be around, dabbling in stuff we shouldn't be dabbling in, I believe these things can cause oppression. But when we talk about possession, uh, I believe that very clearly the Bible uh, uh, speaks of of being, um, when you're born again, that's that's something that God does. Now, if you want to walk away from God, I believe that there's an issue there. But uh, but just in general, a person uh, that oh you you have, you have the demon of thirst. Uh, I've actually <laughs> heard demon of, of anger. Demon of anger. Demon of anger. Well, it's yeah. we don't want to take responsibility. Well, it's that old Irish temper of mine. It's that old German temper mm-hmm. of mine. 
No, it's called the old sin nature temper of yours. And we yep. don't want to own up to what our sins are. That's the whole problem. That's what happened with Cain and Abel. Cain didn't want to own up to killing his brother. That's the way it always is all the way through the Bible. So when we face our sin, the reason we can't, and I believe most people can't face their sin, is because it is grievous. It is ugly. It is horrible. But for this reason, Christ died. And I think we have to go back to that. Hope that helps, Pamela. Oh, yeah. I'm ready to cry because I believe just like you you gentlemen and brothers do. This is the first time I've actually heard of of the of people saying Christians can have a demon. And it shook me up because I do battle things uh, off and on in my life. And I don't, I mean, like worrying and worrying about my grown kids yeah. not being ready to meet, if they're ready to meet the Lord or not, you know, stuff like that. And, um, oh, I love the Lord more than anything in this world. And thank you. You've helped me a lot. Pamela, we can tell by your voice you love God and just keep keep going. And again, uh, when people say these kind of things, I say chapter, verse, chapter, verse. They don't have anything. They make it up. So. It's one of the great problems that we find. Stay online, send you some books, some DVDs. I think you'll enjoy. Use them for evangelism. God bless you, dear. Thanks so much for the call. Let's go to Jesse, Carson City, Nevada, by Reno. I welcome. Hey, thanks for taking my call. How may we help? So my question is about tithing. So currently my uh, tithe goes to the church that I attend, uh, that I attend. And I think that's kind of you know, what what most of us do, but I'm hoping you can come up with, you know, a reference or or a couple that would kind of lock in the that that is the place that, you know, God has said this is where the tithe needs to go. I want to make sure that, you know, if well, there's another Yeah, I uh, think we ahead. need to be careful sometimes. Uh I know people that love God that continue tithing to their church that ordains homosexual um, men and women to be priests and priestesses. I've seen people tied to churches that really have a very unchristian stance towards a lot of the trendy stuff going on today. Uh, I would tell somebody not to support that kind of behavior. Um, I tell people, support what feeds you. Support where your fellowship is. I think, generally speaking, the tithe went to the church or to the temple in those days. However, there are instances where I would not support a fellowship because of their stand on certain things the Bible forbids, such as read Romans chapter 1. Very clearly, uh, I think by supporting that and that denomination or mentality or that venue, you're damaging the body of Christ, not helping it. Better money spent somewhere else. But there was tithes, there were offerings, and almsgiving. Your thoughts? Yeah, I, I personally believe what you give to, you empower it to continue. Yes. You have to think of it that way. Whatever you give money to, you empower it to continue. I tell our folks that at uh, Turning Point in Fort Worth all the time. Uh, Whatever you give to, you empower it to continue. And whatever you withhold from, 
uh, you weaken it. Now, we're talking about financially, not the power of God and, uh, you know, the grace of God and things that cannot be bought. But anything needs to keep the lights on you, you, and the air conditioner blowing and, you know, gasoline in the cars and, you know, any church building has to be sustained. So what you give to, you empower to continue. So if you have a church or a parachurch ministry that you learn has begun to support things that um, are questionable or outright wrong, I had a man uh, recently visit my church on a Sunday morning. I noticed he had a priest collar on. Hmm. And so I'm immediately curious, well, what is a priest doing here? So I, I made a beeline for him. He was an older gentleman. Uh, he had his little wife with him. So I knew he was probably Episcopalian and not uh, Catholic. Anyway, went up to him in a nutshell. I said, Hey, I wanted to meet you. And what are you doing here? I, this is not exactly your tribe. I mean, you're, I can tell you're a priest. And he said, um, well, Jeff, I've listened to you on radio and I wanted to come and visit. And here's the deal. I had a diocese in Fort Worth and we received an order from on high. That is the powers that be, um, that we had to begin to marry same sex couples. And it was a mandate from their leadership. And he said, I appealed, I appealed, and I appealed, and they would not bend. So I had to withdraw not just my support financially, but my leadership. I had to walk away because if I had continued giving to it and uh, representing it, then I'm enabling something sinful to continue. So you got to be careful where you place your money. I believe the New Testament gives us a superior motive for giving. In the Old Testament, it was mandated, uh, you know, and it was it was never money. It was crops. It was to keep the priests uh, uh, alive and to keep the, the temple functioning. But in the New Testament, uh, giving comes out of your heart. Uh, as a man decides in his heart, so let him give. It comes from, it's grace giving. It's not so much mandate giving as grace giving. And I think that is superior giving because you often find yourself giving more than 10%. Um, I'm not bragging. I'm really not, but I, I generally uh, every month give a little bit more than 10% just because I want to empower the gospel to reach more people. So it's grace giving. So Jesse, in answer to your question, um, I would encourage you look at what the entity believes and what they represent that you are giving to. And then also consider that God may speak to you to give 20%. He may speak to you one, one week to give, uh, you know, more than you usually do and maybe to something that you don't usually give to. But that's New Testament giving. It's grace inspired giving from a thankful heart for what God has done. Mike. Amen. Hope that helps. Yeah, it sure does. Thank you so much. Stand online, Jesse. We'll send you out some books, some DVDs. I think it'll encourage you. Great for evangelism. With that, we'll go to Tim, Gallup, New Mexico. Hi, welcome. Hello, I need to know if you could tell me the difference between a fallen angel and a demon, if there's any at all. Okay, uh, Jeff. And, you know, a lot of people, there's a lot of really crazy ideas out there 
concerning demons, that there was a whole world here between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2, and these cavemen people uh, died, and their spirit is what makes the demons. Why don't you mm-hmm. share with us a little bit about your thoughts? Yeah, I think any demon is a, is a fallen angel. Amen. What are demons? They are spiritual entities. We could say they're spiritual personalities. Uh, Jesus' uh, dealings with demons revealed a lot about the dark world. They spoke. They understood who Christ was. They had the emotion of fear. Please don't send us into the abyss. Uh, before our time, they begged Christ, who had total authority over them. Um, they desired to, to, to enter something. If they couldn't be in the, the demoniac of Gadara, they wanted to be in pigs. They wanted to destroy. They wanted to occupy something living. So uh, the, the conversations, well, the one way conversation, Jesus never really conversed with them, but they said a lot when they were confronted by Christ. So, uh, to me, they are fallen. I think scripture is clear. They are fallen angels uh, that became demons when they rebelled with Lucifer, meaning the morning star, the bright and morning star. Lucifer was an, Luther was an archangel, uh, or rather Lucifer was an archangel. Uh, he was a uh, cherubim. Um, he had incredible power. He was right there with Michael and Gabriel in authority and power. And he led a third of the heavenly host to rebel against God. That third became the demons when they were cast from heaven. And they have a hierarchy. And I'll, I'll end with this. But uh, Paul the Apostle in Ephesians 6 tells us the hierarchy, how Satan has a hierarchical structure with the demons. There's principalities. There's powers. There's rulers of the darkness of this world. And there's spiritual wickedness in high places. Those are four different levels or hierarchies in the dark world. And they are fallen angels, now demons. And of course, Lucifer, the bright and morning star, became Satan, uh, the devil, Diabolos, the accuser of the brethren, the arch enemy of God. So Satan and the demons um, were totally transformed when they were cast out of heaven and became disembodied spirits on the earth. And uh, I hope that helps, Tim. Yeah, some, the Bible say, are so fierce, though, that they're chained in the bottom of the Euphrates River, uh, which are, are uh, which God will eventually let loose on the earth. Um, we know in the host of heaven there were cherubim, seraphim, there were uh, messenger angels, there were warrior angels, there were those that were just to praise the Lord. Uh, we, we know that there's all kinds of things in that host of heaven, in that third of the stars that fell with him. And I believe that probably the, uh, maybe not the, the extreme violent ones, uh, because I'm pretty sure they're pretty mad over what happened, um, that are reserved in chains, are not speaking of every angel that fell with Lucifer. And it is interesting to me that even Lucifer, uh, being an angel, is not chained in the bottom of the Euphrates River, but God has allowed him 
to be. Now, always remember this, everyone. The devil is still God's devil. And the devil can only do what God allows him to do, and especially to people. Read Job chapter 1. You'll see Satan couldn't do whatever he wanted to do to Job. He had to ask permission. So the point is, is that we know in this unseen realm, Plato, who was not a believer in God, 800 years before Christ said, we live in the shadow of reality. The real world is in the unseen realm. Even people that are not believers recognize there's more going on than what meets the eye. And so we understand then that we never need to be fearful of demons because, again, they can only do what God allows them to do. But we don't want to engage with them. Jesus said, Rejoice that your name is written in the book of life, not that you have power over the devil. I think that's really important. Michael, the mightiest of angels in the book of Jude, did not bring railing accusation against the devil. He said, the Lord rebuke you. And really, that's all we have to say to the devil and to his demons. Uh, to these people that carry on long conversations and what's your name and how old are you and what's your favorite color and all these kind of crazy things. I don't have anything to do with that. I just say, in the name of Jesus, out now. And I believe that, again, we find Jesus casting demons out. By the way, it's interesting. Where You know where Jesus found a lot of demon-possessed people? Was in the temple. Now, that's kind of weird, ain't it? Well, Satan I, went to church. Yeah, that's the point. And, and so um, I, I think that, uh, again, we have to be very much aware we have a formidable enemy, but greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Tim, I hope that helps. Yeah, the reason I asked is because someone was trying to tell me that the fallen angels uh, mated with the the women of men, and they yeah. became Nephilim, men of renown. Yeah. And when they died, their spirits became demons. And it, yeah. it didn't make a lot of sense to me, so I wanted to make sure. False teaching. Yeah, you you won't ever find that in the Bible. That's made up. So I think you got to be very very careful when it comes to. Uh, that kind of ideas and things like that. Um, I think anything that would be that pronounced would be clearly outlined in God's Word. It's simply not. And second of all, uh, I don't believe the uh, angels. I think the sons of God were speaking of the descendants of Seth. Um, what fellowship, Jesus said, does light have with darkness? It doesn't. And so... Uh, Understanding that why would God make a group of angels with parts that would never be used, it just doesn't logically make sense. So I think no, it's, it's a very totally illogical. Yeah. So out of time, everyone. Thanks so much, Jeff, for being on. Stay on line. Tim will send you out books and DVDs. Ernest calls back. Put you on first thing tomorrow. Until then, God bless you. Good night. To find out more about this ministry or to receive a copy of today's program, please call 1-800-357-4226 or write us to Every Man and Answer, P.O. Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, 83303. That toll-free number is 1-800-357-4226. Subscribe to the free podcast on iTunes by searching for To Every Man and Answer in the iTunes store or visit us online at csnradio.com slash T-E-M-A. 
To Every Man and Answer is a production of CSN International, the Christian Satellite Network. The opinions expressed by our guests may or may not be those of CSN International or of this station. 